So t- today's talk will be on the uh, again on the on the precepts and um, and self compassion because today I want to focus on how we can apply the precepts to ourselves. Um, a few days before Joko Beck died, I think she was about 92 or 93 when she died. Um, one of her students asked her if you were to summarize your teachings in one word, what would it be? And she said, any guesses? Kindness. Um, So that's one way of um, summarizing the precepts with kindness. Uh, Or in three words we could say, do no harm. Do no harm to self or others. And today we're focusing on doing no harm to self and uh, paying attention to that. The other aspect of the precepts in a nutshell is to appreciate the preciousness of life. The, uh, the first traditional precept is often, often translated as uh, no killing or do not kill. And uh, hence the, uh, the affirmative of that is to value or appreciate the preciousness of life in all its uh, aspects and forms. including how quickly it flies past. So in um, Buddhism we often talk about mindfulness and compassion and it's a nice way of really summarizing practice. So the two wings of of the bird Um, mindfulness and compassion working together enable us to respond to life in a way which hopefully creates no harm. If we just have one wing it might be a little bit lopsided we might fly in just the one so it's good to have the balance between the two. There's a, um, an, an acronym, is that right? When you just have a, a word, I'm using uh, F-A-C-E, FACE. Um, FACE and uh, as, a, as a means of reminding ourselves how to practice with the precepts or how to practice with difficult emotions in general. And um, I've adapted it from the work of Christopher Germer, who wrote a book called The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion, which I recommend. And um, it's four steps, or really two steps. So the, the first step, or the first two steps, are mindfulness. And, um, and so remembering the distinctions between mindfulness and, uh, and compassion. So mindfulness is about acceptance of our moment-to-moment experience, 
whereas self-compassion is about soothing and comforting the experiencer or the self in the midst of suffering. Mindfulness asks, what am I experiencing right now? And self-compassion asks, what do I need right now? And I'm going to talk more about needs in this talk, because I think it's a very important concept when understanding how to work compassionately with the self. So, the, uh, the first two letters of face, F and A, uh, can be summarized as to um, F for feel. So, feel, if this moment's painful, feeling this moment, whatever this moment is, um, and accepting it, and acknowledging it. So, um, knowing what we're experiencing as best we can while we're experiencing it, and um, we can't work with something if it's hidden from us. So the more we can uh, appreciate what we're experiencing right now, the better. And, um, you know, we can have a tendency, whenever something is difficult or painful or uh, uncomfortable, there is always that tendency to either just, you know, just distance, distance ourselves from it, dissociate a little bit, push it away, or cover it over or numb it over. So it's about, the intention is to do our best to open up to the experience of this moment. And the acceptance aspect is to embrace it with uh, non-judgmental, loving awareness. And um, again, rather than resisting it, which often increases the suffering, we try and basically surrender to it, um, because resistance only increases suffering. And so, when we talk about um, accepting this moment, it, there's a few words we can use to talk about practice. One is softening, another is allowing, and another is labeling. So with the softening, it's kind of like leaning towards ourselves and um, opening up to the physical sensations of discomfort with tenderness and kindness, just bringing that sense of curiosity to what we're experiencing. And allowing is just allowing it to let it letting it be, just just seeing how it arises and seeing how we might be hanging on to something, uh, and uh, just allowing that process to unfold in the moment as best we can. Letting it be just as it is, free to come and go. And labeling is a very helpful practice sometimes when we actually put a word to what we're experiencing. So. We can just give a label to a thought, such as, you know, worrying about what people think about me, or just simply labeling a feeling, such as sadness or fear. And just giving a word to it, which um, often helps us to just allow it to be there and not get too entangled with it. A lot of Zen practice, um, focuses very much on that non-separation from suffering, just opening ourselves up to it. And um, 
That's essentially what zazen is. Um, it's being just this. But um, it's, not a, it's not an easy thing to do all the time. And um, so that's why the, the self-compassion practice I emphasize, I think, is very important. And um, so it means that um, we bring an extra dimension of responding to, responding to how, what this moment is and responding to uh, ourselves with a, a sense of um, empathy, so an, an empathet, empathic understanding of what we are going through and, and also with some kindness. So, um, for example, um, if we're experiencing anger or depression, trying to understand or clarify. Um, so this is the, the C word, it's the clarification and the responding with compassion. What's the unmet need? What's, what's, what's the hurt that I'm experiencing? What's the unmet need I am experiencing in this moment? See if we can clarify that. And uh, we can just acknowledge our suffering just with some basic self-compassion phrases, and such as this is a real moment of difficulty or suffering. Just, just be kind to myself. Um, everyone goes through this at times. And the final step, step is to uh, the, the E in the phase, is to engage, and in a sense to engage with some kind of skillful action um, if, we, if we need to do more. Um, so sometimes it could mean simply um, noticing the judgment we're having and then just refraining from that judgment and uh, not acting on it. Or it could be if we're feeling ang angry, taking just a, um, a few deep breaths or even taking a time out and going for a walk. If you're aware, if uh, sometimes in, in the bigger issues in life might be that sometimes we may have to leave uh, an abusive relationship. Um, sometimes we may have to say no to assert a boundary. Sometimes it's really important to be able to to be able to assert our needs. Um, sometimes in Zen practice, probably. Um, spirituality in general, um, we've got to be really, it's very tricky, we've got to be really careful that we don't start to get into some kind of sacrificing of ourselves and of our own needs. That uh, it's, um, The compassion has to flow both ways, it needs to flow to us as well as to others, that we don't do harm to ourselves by um, somehow ignoring or minimizing our needs by saying sometimes, you know, in Zen practice we can sometimes say, well, um, this is, just accept this moment as it is and let go of my, you know, my anger and, and uh, but sometimes this is where the suffering with intelligence or emotional intelligence or practicing with intelligence comes in in the sense of um, 
we don't want to do harm to ourselves by ignoring what we need. And this is often comes up a lot in relationships, even communities. And, um, and I think it's a, an area in which we can all have difficulties at times. So it's important, I think, to make a distinction uh, within our own minds um, between wants and needs. So um, wants, uh, as you know, are kind of maybe preferences which we can actually let go of. We don't have to get suffer over wants, but sometimes needs are sometimes basic necessities, including psychological needs as well. And sometimes it's important not to ignore <coughs> those needs, um, because if we ignore them, um, we may become resentful, and over time that, resent that resentment may turn into a pretty severe depression. And uh, all, in the, all in the name of being a good Buddhist, or being a good Christian, or being a good mindfulness practitioner, we might ignore our own needs. For those of you who studied um, Psychology 1, at some point in your life, or most of us would have come across Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, Abraham Maslow was a psychologist, uh, became known for transpersonal psychology in the 1960s and 70s in the US of A. He talked about a hierarchy of needs uh, uh, and uh, starting at the bottom of the triangle with, the, with our basic you know, physiological needs. So basically our needs for, to, to breathe. <laughs> um, we're not going to be able to do much if we can't breathe. The needs of food, water, sleep, sex. These basic needs that we need to meet. Um, his next level on the hierarchy was the needs for a sense of personal safety. Um, In a lot of my psychotherapy practice, if I'm working with people who have had some kinds of psychological trauma in their lives, the, uh, the first phase of therapy is always establishing a sense of safety um, in the room, in the relationship. And uh, for many of us, even in, this, even in Australia, where our, our needs for safety have been impinged upon, Sometimes it's really hard to feel safe with others. And uh, so, and, but we can also extend the notion of safety beyond those psychological needs to uh, the basic, basic housing, basic need for um, privacy, um, basic sense of uh, employment, resources, the need for a peaceful society, the need for boundaries. Um, And um, sometimes, um, you know, um, a need for a need for privacy in terms of I was um, not too long ago, about a year, couple of years ago now, maybe a year and a half ago, um, me and my wife were living in Kalang, and it was a um, one of those uh, dwellings that had been built uh, by people who are trying to you know, lead, lead a life in harmony with, with um, self-subsistence sort of uh, values. And uh, it had a, a, a drop toilet and uh, you had to climb the ladder to sit on the toilet. And, and, uh, and my wife 
was greatly challenged by that. And um, for me, it wasn't so much a problem. Uh, for me, kind of toilet, having a, a flushing toilet might be a preference, but for someone else, it might be a need to have a flushing toilet. And uh, so, like, there's no point suffering unnecessarily, you know, if we have a need for a flushing toilet, and that's and there are many reasons why people have a need for a flushing toilet. Could be, and also the need for privacy when going to the bathroom. We all we're all different in that way, and we've all had different experiences growing up as children. In a large family, you know, toilet and bathroom can be a place of great trauma, um, and uh, boundaries being violated. So we're all different. So for some of us, it might just be a preference, but for others, it might be a need. And if it's a need for us, we need to be assertive about that. Fortunately, my wife is very assertive about these things, so she's okay. We moved as soon as we could. <laughs> um, the, uh, the next level of needs, Maslow talked about the sense of love and the needs around love and belonging, basically our attachment needs. And of course, if these needs don't get met in childhood, we, uh, we can develop uh, quite a number of different problems as adults. And, uh, these are needs for the basic sense of security of attachment, and um, so this includes the need the need for nurture, the need to be responded to with sensitivity, um, the need for acceptance, you know, um, the need for recognition and validation, the need for play, the need for security and stability and, and for empathy. All these are very important needs as children, but we don't stop having those needs as adults as well. You know, we find ourselves in an adult intimate relationship and um, in fact these needs probably get even, even more um, important as we get older. Uh, the need for love and uh, closeness and intimacy. And sometimes it's quite sad when I witness um, sometimes long-term marriages where the, uh, the partners in the marriage have become, or one of them maybe, or both of them, have become so distant that there's no longer any sense of, of nurture and love and touch that is so essential to our sense of health and well-being. And the second level of needs that Maslow talked about were esteem, esteem needs. So the kind of needs we get met through our work uh, needs to have a certain sense of competence that we can do things skillfully and enjoy doing that on our basic needs for autonomy that we can exercise our work with you know without being supervised all the time by somebody else um, the needs for respect and recognition around our work and the sense of confidence and, and achievement that comes from that so all of those, uh, those needs. And, and again, those needs don't necessarily stop when we get to a certain age. And so, how do we get those needs met if we do, if we do retire from the paid workforce? And, but we still need to have a sense of contributing, maybe, and uh, having some recognition for that. And uh, the final level of needs he talked about were the needs for self-actualization, so the sense of the kind of thing we're doing here, in the sense of we're also um, practicing some form of spirituality or ethics um, 
or creativity. Um, um, sometimes I see Zen as a form of play. So it can be a very creative thing. Um, and also just the basic the maturity, the maturity that comes from the ability to accept reality as it is. So to be able to accept the aging process, for example, to be comfortable in our own skin and uh, to be comfortable looking at our face in the mirror and accept that without... Uh, so, um, all, and there's a, there'd be lots of other needs I haven't mentioned, but... Um, so, in our practice, uh, when, we're, when we're being mindful of the compassionate aspect towards self, it's really good to try and understand and get an appreciation of what our needs are and to, and to, um, and to be able to feel confident to express them, to assert them compassionately to ourselves and others. So, just to conclude, if we, if we go back to the precepts, um, so for example, um, if we look at the first precept and the reality of violence and abuse, um, and how to practice non-violence in thoughts, words and actions, well, you know, many people have experienced family violence or domestic violence. And um, so <clears throat> what are some examples of needs that are, that are not being met in a, in a situation of domestic violence, for example? Just give me just a couple. What, what, what needs are not being met when someone is a, in, a, in, a, in a relationship where there's violence and abuse happening? Often. Safety, number one, yeah. Love and tenderness and compassion, all that stuff. Mm. Basic. Yeah, yeah. Recognition, validation, autonomy, respect. Once. And ironically, the abuser is asking for these things, like both sides. The person who's abused is not getting recognized for the work, and the abuser subconsciously. And it's something I guess we've all, um, at times we've um, you know, been the victim of violence and abuse, but at times maybe we've also, well at times I've probably perpetrated violence and abuse at various points in my life. And uh, sometimes it's both ways in a relationship. It's the verbal can be just as hurtful at times. And often it starts in the primary school too. See how the way children often relate with each other. It's not often always um, respectful. I had some <laughs> memories of primary school, my God. It was um, pretty much a... Um, uh, 
survival of the fittest at times. And when I first went to primary school, <laughs> it was pretty horrible. Yeah, just in the schoolyard. Yeah. And uh, you know, God help us. It's hard to imagine what it's like, you know, growing up as a child in places like Serbia and so on. It was bad enough growing up in England in the 1960s, I don't know. <clears throat> but again, children, they have, and you get abuse, from abusers, you get users. One half is using the other person to establish their authority or power or need for feeling what would the abuser want to feel that he's in control. And the person that's being abused or thoughts or warped kind of way of looking at it, sometimes it's attention. Yeah. I mean sometimes the abuser, you know, are also functioning from needs that weren't met in, in childhood as well. And so jealousy can certainly quickly become a trigger for the the fear of abandonment and uh, which often then gets expressed in some form of anger which leads to violence. Um, another, another precept, this sense of um, looking at inequality in the world and the distribution of wealth and resources. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not um, expecting everybody here to, um, um, you know, give all your possessions and all your money to me <laughs> or to the church or anything like that. But like, how do, what, what, is, what is necessary, you know? What do we need for happiness, you know? How much money do we need, really? How, how, how big a house do we really need for happiness, and so on? These are questions we can ask ourselves. And um, when it talks in the precepts about, you know, not elevating the self, I mean, or denigrating others, it's, um, also important to observe how we, how we talk to ourselves too. Do we denigrate ourselves a lot? And, uh, you know, paying, paying attention to that. And um, next, next fortnight I'll focus more on, more on the, the precept that talks about uh, do not be angry. Um, and um, because anger is a you know very, uh, very complex kind of emotion, and uh, and often reveals a lot of unmet needs and hurts, and how to work with anger. And we'll talk more about that next fortnight. So again, I'd encourage you in your, you know, in your daily life and daily practice, just to remember that the. The precepts apply just as much to ourselves as to as to how we relate to others as well. Okay, I'll just leave it at that for today.